0: I think what the Lord's given me this morning, I I was given an assigned text in Luke chapter 8, which we'll read in a moment, but it really goes in the same direction as Robin's... Where's Robin? Where are you? Uh, Robin's encouragement to us to cast our burdens on the Lord. In some ways, this uh, scene or scenes in Luke take us the same way. Our title is What We Can't Handle... He can. That's a good, simple title, and I think it holds a simple truth. It's all about Christ's authority. Let's read. It's a fairly, it's a decent length of text, but let's take our time with it. It's about thirty verses, starting in Luke eight twenty-two. We'll have it on the screen. I'll read it, and you can follow, listen along. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Notice who it is that initiates this journey. It's Christ's idea, even though they run into some problems on the way. It's his idea. Verse 23, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? You, it's an interesting exegetical question there. What right at this point in this scene are they afraid of? Is it still the storm, or is it they're seeing someone there with them in the boat that is greater than the storm? And they're going, whoa, dinner plate size eyes. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying, "Who?" is this that he commands winds and water and they obey him they don't have a place in their brains for this kind of power then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes which is opposite Galilee and Jesus when Jesus had stepped out onto the land there met him a man from the city who had demons for a long time he had worn no clothes and he had Not lived in a house, but among the tombs. What a pathetic way to live. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Interesting, the man somehow or the demons knew who this was, even his name. I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? There's even authority, you know, in doing that. Like if a police officer accosts you for some reason and say, I want some ID. It shows he's got authority. Now Jesus says to these spirits, what is your name? And he expects them to answer. And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, Jesus, to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. I love this. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's my verse for Lent. I want to do that. I've not been in quite the desperate state this fellow has been in, <laughs> praise the Lord, but I want to learn to do what this guy does. Sit at Jesus' feet. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and the people who now came in to see this, they were afraid. Do you hear the echo there? The disciples see his power. <gasps> They're afraid. Now these people see his power. <gasps> They're afraid. What's going on? Who is this? And those that had seen it, and told them how the demon possessed man those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear so we got into the boat and returned the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him but Jesus sent him away saying Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And, they went, and he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. Note that time reference, 12 years. For he had an only daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, people pressed around him. Note briefly here, let me hit the pause button, there's what scholars call an intersplice. Jesus begins telling a story, and it's almost like he cuts the text, and he interspices another story in the middle. There's two incidents that are wrapped around one another. There's the gyrus and his daughter story, but then in the middle of it, in a sense simultaneous with it, is the woman with the issue of blood. And then it goes back, after Jesus deals with her, it goes back to the gyrus thing. So there's gyrus, woman with issue of blood, gyrus. That's how it works. And Jesus went, and the people were pressing around him. Verse 43... And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood, and guess how long? For 12 years. Not an accident, Luke references the time frames. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, by the way, the older and better manuscripts of Luke don't include that line, I'll let you figure that out. He was a doctor, okay. She could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Twice we get this verb, ceased. The storm ceased, the issue of blood ceased because they've come up against the same authority and power that makes them cease. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds around you are pressing in on you. What do you mean? There's a dozen people touching you. 46, but Jesus said, Someone touched me in faith. I think that's how we're meant to see that. Someone touched me in faith, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all these people why she had touched him. No doubt that was part of why she was felt embarrassed, the nature of her of her condition. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, now we're back to Jairus, the original story. Jairus, woman with the hemorrhage, back to Jairus. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and James, and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. They may have been professional mourners. Some parts of the world, we, they still have that. You pay people, they come and they carry on. I'll tell you in a second why that seems to be the case here. They were all weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. In the presence of Jesus, death is not forever. It's like a form of sleep. She is dead. But he says, because I'm here, it's just sleep. It's not forever. And they laughed. That's why I think they are probably professional mourners. If they can go start laughing that quick, there's an artificial mourning going on. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead, and she was. But taking her by the hand, he called, he called, saying, Child, arise. In Mark, you get that Aramaic, Talitha, little girl. uh, Child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This, see, These four scenes are about the idea, the truth that what we can't handle he can. What we can't handle there, Mark Sorry, Luke helpfully gives us four examples. Here's four things we can't handle. The stormy sea. The disciples had no resources in themselves to deal with that storm. We can't handle the powers of darkness. We can't handle incurable long-term illness, which is precisely what this woman had. We can't handle death. Four enemies that are beyond us. But they're not beyond Christ. And that's Luke's point in giving us these four dramatic back-to-back episodes in Jesus' ministry. Let's look at each one in turn. The stormy sea. A windstorm came down on the lake. People that study these things, like biblical geography, will tell you that there is a mountain range to the north and west of the sea of galilee and periodically masses of air that or accumulate on the top of those mountains will for some reason that a meteorologist would explain will slide down the eastern slopes of those hills right out over the sea of galilee or the lake of galilee but then there's warm moist air on top of this, the, the the lake and these two air masses collide And when that happens, you get this collision. You get an immense storm in a matter of minutes. And it happens to this day, I'm told. You can go from a calm, clear afternoon to a massive and very, very, very fierce storm. Hence, Luke describes the storm as coming down. Perhaps it even appeared that way. It came down out of the hills onto the lake. The boat's filling with water. The disciples are terrified. Master, Master, we are perishing. We can't handle this. Like many of you, I use a laptop. Like many of you, I live in abject, paranoiac fear of losing documents in my laptop. So I went and I got Dropbox. You know what Dropbox is? You back up your documents. This week I found out I'd been doing it wrong. Don't do this. It's not recommended. It's emerged now. The latter end of this week, I was in a complete state. Asked my wife. I'd been doing something wrong in the procedure of putting it up on Dropbox. And if some of you are familiar with this, you'll know how dreadful a circumstance. This is like 10 storms. I was backing up stuff and I was taking, replacing new documents with old ones. Do you know what that means? It's a good way for lots of texts that you've been working on to go bloopers into the twilight zone, never to return. For me, this was a storm. It was something I can't handle. I sat at the table and I said, Master, I'm perishing. (laughs) (laughs) The scene of their terror, the disciples, reminds us of numbers of scenes in the Old Testament, notably Psalm 107. There's sailors it says, they went down to the sea in ships, they get hit by a storm, they were like drunken men, they reeled and staggered, the psalm says, like drunken men, at their wits end. People make put names in their fancy retirement cottages, you know, Bag End, where Bilbo lived, and something, Howard's End, and you read about it in novels and whatnot, I'd like to retire someday in a little cute little village in a Cotswold village and call it Wits End. Uh, uh, That would be a good place to name your cottage. They they were at their Wits End. In the Old Testament, the stormy sea becomes an emblem of chaos, of danger, sometimes life-threatening danger. Psalm 93, the floods lifted up their roaring very vivid way that psalm talks about the potentially terrifying power of the stormy sea. Now against that backdrop the storm leads sailors to to be at their wits end. Okay, that's true but note something else all God, the Old Testament God, has to do to control the sea is speak. He doesn't have to build dikes, he doesn't have to put up some sort of huge concrete barriers, all he has to do is speak. Let the waters be gathered. Genesis 1 verse 9, the beginning of creation, it appears that the entire planet was submerged in water. That's how it began. And God says, let the waters be gathered. So these huge bazillions of tons of water, cubic miles of water, start collecting and let the dry land appear. All of a sudden you've got Africa. What did God have to do to make that happen? He had to speak. He rebuked Psalm 106, looking back on the exodus from Egypt. He rebuked the Red Sea. That's all he had to do was speak. And the Red Sea opened up. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed in Psalm 107. That almost is an advanced hint of the story we're looking at this morning. The waves of the sea were hushed. And in this scene, we're told there was a great calm. All God has to do is speak because he's God. And in Luke 8, we see that all Jesus has to do is speak. In verse 24, he rebuked the raging waves, the the winds and the raging waves, and they ceased. That verb cease, note that. And there was a calm. There's no extra charge this morning for these little flyers. Did you get one on your seat? You should have got one on your chair or in your your bulletin when you entered. This is what I like to call a fridge magnet without the magnet. You've got to take it home, and supply your own magnet, put it on the front of your refrigerator. Alternately, you can tuck it inside your Bible. It quotes the verse I just quoted that's, that's on the screen, verse 24. He rebuked the raging waves. Note. Luke uses the word rebuked, which is how Psalm 106 looks back on Israel at the Red Sea. God spoke and rebuked the Red Sea. Christ spoke and rebukes this storm on the Sea of Galilee. It shows God's and it shows Christ's authority. Something that could, in a matter of minutes, sink a great ship. And even more easily, a relatively small fishing vessel like these men were probably in. All Jesus has to do is speak. Just take this away. This is the point of all this this morning. What we can't handle, he can. What we can't handle, he can. I don't know yet what the outcome is going to be of this mess up with my computer if I can f- somehow retrieve some of that material, material even if it's com- permanently gone, which I'm hoping it's not, what we, what I can't handle, he can. Take this away, I'm appealing to all of us this morning. There's maybe things going on or things that you are afraid might start, might start going on and you think, I couldn't face it if it came to that. Well, that's not true because what we can't handle, he can. Don't be afraid of water in your boat. Let's keep moving. There's four demonstrations of Christ's power and authority. That's what Luke is giving us. We've just looked at number one. Then number, the second one, the powers of darkness. The way Luke has described it, which we've just seen, Legion is in total control. An interesting thing to ponder is how many demons the man had. We just, Luke just uses the word many. A Roman legion, for whatever this may or may not be worth, a Roman legion normally had 6,000 soldiers. So if this fellow had anything remotely on that scale in terms of numbers of evil spirits, we, as we would say today, he had some issues. Okay, this fellow, was, he, was, he, he had some problems. Luke, Luke describes. He ran around naked. He just normal everyday dignity and respect. He didn't even have that. Where did he live? This is an oxymoron. He lived among the tombs. Well, wait a minute. That's where dead people live. Well, spiritually and emotionally, he almost was dead. Sometimes uh, the spirits would get hold of him to the point he would run off into the be driven out into the desert. This is not where you live. It's 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 Luke's way of describing what horrible state this man was in. He had to be shackled, but the demonic strength in him was so intense he could literally break those chains. Now, Luke gives us those details, all that sort of diagnosis, to show one thing, the legion was calling the shots. Legion was in control. Now, the Lord Jesus shows up, and what do we see legion doing we see legion begging don't send us into the abyss when do you beg you beg when you know you're in the presence of someone of much 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 greater authority than you that's when you beg and legion knows he knows he knows they know it knows it's jig us up it's either going to be the abyss, or maybe, <clears throat> how about those pigs? So they think maybe it's a slightly lesser penalty and fate to be put into the pigs than into the abyss. So they're begging. Formerly, they were completely under, completely in control. Now they're reduced to begging. It reflects Jesus' complete and total authority. So he releases the demons, he gives them permission, by the way, that's how Luke says it he gave them permission. Do you see what that implies? Who's in charge now legion? You do this simply by his permission. What we can't handle, he can because he's in control, Jesus. The legion goes into the pigs and the pigs drown. Let's put on our sanctified thinking caps for a moment. We've got here so far in what we've looked at two back to back miracles. The calming of the storm and the victory over this army of demons, Jesus' power over the sea, and then an enemy arming an enemy army drowning. You do not get an extra biscuit after the service in the cafe, for figuring out what Old Testament scene this recalls. Okay, do you get it? God's power over the sea, and then an enemy army drowns. da 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 He's doing a replay of the biggest miracle in the Old Testament to show who he is. The exodus, of course. Note also the man's before and after state. The contrast. Sometimes for medical things or whatever. You see the two pictures in an, ad, in an advertisement. Before and after. Before, he's naked and he's tormented. After after Jesus comes and handles what this poor man can't handle, we see him clothed in his right mind and sitting at Christ's feet. You know, for Lent, let me revisit this point. I think for some of us this morning, this is going to turn out to be important in the next month or so. Let's sit at Christ's feet. Just take time literally every day if you can and this listen, sit down and say, Jesus, I need you to speak to me today. about my emotional reactions to, thing, to when things go wrong, like computers or something my spouse says to me or getting caught in traffic on the way to work or not speaking up when I could, put in a good word for the gospel and the authority of Christ in all things. I need you to speak to me. So I'm going to sit at your feet. We get to that point of being able to do that, sit at his feet, because he has authority over all things. Think of the contrast. We'll move on now. He's naked and he's tormented. Then he's sitting down at peace, at rest, in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. What we can't handle, he can. Third thing, third battle, incurable sickness. A detail Mark gives, we'll come back to, we'll explain it in a moment, 12 years, I think I just said Mark, I meant Luke. A detail Luke gives is how long this woman's had this ailment, it's 12 years. We're told, although, as I mentioned in the earlier manuscripts of Dr. Luke, he leaves that thing about doctors being useless, he leaves that out, Uh, but Matthew and Mark, it's in there all over, clearly established in the text's. Because of the nature of her illness and certain prescriptions and proscriptions in the law of Moses, the kind of condition she had would have made her ceremonially, ritually unclean. She was alive, but she was daily drained of life. I'm not a doctor, but I know blood loss drains your energy. You lose hemoglobin, you lose iron, I'm sure this woman would have felt constantly tired, alive, but drained of life, daily drained of life. And maybe we can pray for someone this morning. You might not have a, a hemorrhage, but maybe there's, you feel you're being sapped. There's somewhere, something is sapping your spiritual energy. You say, I can relate to that lady. She is instantly healed. She touches his garment, She's healed on the spot. He turns around. Of course, he can feel the the power go out of his body. He turns around. Who was it that touched me in faith? I felt, felt the power go out. Initially, it appears she sort of hesitates. She's embarrassed. Doesn't want to talk in front of all these people about an issue of blood. But he presses the issue, so she comes trembling and falling down. So on... The point of getting rid of one problem, a discharge of blood, she's got another one, feeling embarrassed and self-conscious in front of a whole bunch of people, embarrassed and ashamed. Notice what Jesus does at this sort of poignant and awkward moment. For the only time he, in all four Gospels, Jesus calls someone daughter. A woman who's been ceremonially unclean for 12 years. He calls her daughter in front of a big crowd full of people. I suspect that did amazing things for her emotionally. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now she goes away. She goes away reassured. He's given her back a sense of inclusion in the covenant community because the Son of God, whatever the law of Moses may have said, the Son of God, who has authority higher than the law of Moses, the Son of God has called her daughter. You're in. She goes away healed. She goes away restored. She doesn't need to feel ashamed. What we can't handle, he can't. Now we're going to come back to this woman in a certain way in a, in a minute. But we need to move on a little bit into the Jairus story. As Jesus has just, is now speaking to this woman, it says, as he was still speaking, the servants arrived from Jairus' house before Jairus himself had come appealing for help for his sick daughter. Now the servants come. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher, Anymore. Now there's some context here. Jesus has been fighting a series of battles, and there's almost like an escalation in scale. There's the stormy sea, there are are demonic armies, there is incurable long term illness. But then there's another battle. Then there's yet another enemy. We could call this the heavyweight bout. In the Hebraic view of looking at the world in its fallen state, see, evangelical Christians and charismatics tend to think, oh, the big, the big, 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 big worst enemy, we know who that is. That's the devil. No, it's Death. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 says the last enemy to be defeated is death. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26. And when that trumpet sounds and Christ descends, the dead will be raised. That's what Jesus is up against here. Jairus' servants and a lot of other people don't understand And they're about to find out about the scale and magnitude of Jesus' authority. They say to Jairus, their master, don't bother the teacher anymore. Why are they saying that? Well, they are saying that because they think now it's too late. They think death is the end. They think death is beyond Jesus' jurisdiction. Clearly, Jairus, and I presume his household, believed that Jesus of Nazareth had authority over sickness. If they didn't think that, Jairus wouldn't have come to appeal to Jesus to come to the house and lay hands on the little girl and heal her. They knew he could deal with sickness, but then they think, oh my, (laughs) this isn't sickness now. We're under another whole other realm now. The, The... the servants for sure think this is something beyond Jesus's jurisdiction. But Jesus picks up on this little conversation between the servants and Jairus and he says, Oh, hold on a minute. Let's go to the house. Because he knows this isn't the end. And he knows there's nothing outside his jurisdiction. They come to the house. It's full of these mourners, so-called. He says, because he knows that in his presence death is temporary and we will all eventually wake up, even if it's a trumpet that wakes us. He knows it's simply that she's asleep. They laugh, so there's unbelief and all kinds of things going on. And I love the beginning of this next verse. I don't have the verse notation in front of me which verse number it is. But it begins with the word, but. Unbelief all around. Grief all around. Anguish all around. But taking her by the hand. Hold on. But face to face with the ultimate enemy, he took her by the hand. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Arise and her spirit returned and she got up at once and her parents were amazed the word therefore amazed it's made of two words that get put together one means outside of the other means standing up it means to stand outside yourself If you saw a loved one who had just died all of a sudden sit up on the bed you'd stand out yourself too. And that's what the parents how Luke portrays the parents the parents were standing outside themselves. What we can't handle he can. I want to conclude with how the hemorrhage woman and the little girl those two parts of this story come to get work together they are two intertwined stories we get two there's a double 12 reference because together the woman who's being drained and who is unclean and the girl who's dead represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet uses physical sickness and uncleanness to portray the state of Israel, of the people of Israel. And that's what's going on later in the book of Isaiah. By his wounds, we were healed. They were healed of all their uncleanness, spiritual sickness, you know... Mainly the uncleanest thing, being drained of life from the soles of their feet to the top of their head, chapter one says there's not one sound spot, like lesions and pus and it's really gross, Isaiah chapter one, because he portrays Israel as sick. Ezekiel thirty seven, is that where the tri bones are? Is it thirty seven? Yeah. Well there they're not sick, they're dead. And note, Ezekiel doesn't see, look out and see, who huh, a bunch of corpses. <coughs> They're beyond corpses. They're a bunch of now disconnected bones. You can't get any deader than that. And then he sees, or he speaks at God's command, he prophesies over them, and he sees the spirit, the wind, the, the breath of God come on to these disconnected bones People that could not possibly get any debtor and the bones start coming back together. It's resurrection from the dead. It's Israel coming back out of exile. It's Israel when Jesus shows up. It's the believers in Old and New Covenant together at the end of the age when the trumpet sounds and Jesus descends and, and death is defeated. It's all of that. So Luke, Jesus, God arranges it. Jesus does it and Luke records it. We get... A 12-year-old, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, I'll start with her. We get a 12-year-old who's sick and dying and you get a woman who's been sick for 12 long years. One is unclean because of the nature of her condition, drained of life. The other, at the end of the scene, is dead. Unclean, drained, dead. Until now. Until now. This is why... God sent Christ to deal with our uncleanness, to deal with our being drained and weak, and to deal with our deadness. He can cleanse us. He can heal us and restore us. He can raise us from the dead. Do we believe that? What we can't handle, he can. I'm going to close now. I want us to just look briefly at four of the PowerPoint images we've already used. Jeremy, could you just bring them up? as two consecutive slides Okay, just hold it there for a moment. He can handle storms. Maybe you're in one. Well, Luke has good news for you because he rebuked the storm and there was a great calm. He can drive out, drive back the powers of darkness that may be attacking you. Up against him, they're nothing. Great, Jeremy, the other slide, the last one, the other picture as well. A woman that's weak a woman that's unclean and a little girl that's dead. Jointly, they're a picture of God's people and in each picture, we see the one that can handle what we can't handle. May the Lord bless his holy word to us this morning. Amen.